0: Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Milntite. This week, I'm releasing a show I produced several years ago about some of the things that can crop up when your workplace is someone else's home. My main guest is a nanny. She has a lot of experience on the job and very much wants other women like her to feel safe and secure in their roles. When we spoke, she was working in New York City. She'd spent a lot of her nannying life there. And according to a recent study from the National Domestic Workers Alliance, in May of last year, so when the pandemic was still at its peak in New York, between 40 and 60 percent of domestic workers were out of a job, including nannies. Some still haven't got those jobs back. Here's the show. This week, the busier you are, the likelier you are to pay someone else to do some traditionally female tasks, from childcare to
1: cleaning. Professional women need somebody to look after the house, and that hasn't gone away. But it is something which I think makes many people very uncomfortable. I think women find it more uncomfortable to think about than men because so many of these people are women.
0: And today, a lot of them are also migrants with their own ambitions
2: and a desire for recognition. This is real work. Domestic workers make every work possible. If we don't go to work, employers can't go to their jobs. Don't we deserve respect? Don't we deserve to not feel like slaves? Far more women work in other people's homes today than they
0: did 40 years ago. And there's even more of a power disparity between you and your boss – when their house is your office. I first talked to Alison Wolfe about two years ago. She's a professor at King's College London, and she's the author of a book with a provocative US title, The Double X Factor, How the Rise of Working Women Has Created a Far Less Equal World. Now, pretty much none of us want to hear that, right? That because we're working rather than tending to home and hearth, society's less equal than it used to be? But Alison says this is an inevitable consequence of so many women becoming highly educated and getting good, demanding jobs. They can't cook every night. They need much of their food preparation outsourced. They need either daycare or a nanny for their young children or home health aids for their parents. And what Alison calls a new servant class, from prepared food workers to aides and cleaners, they're generally not paid well. Alison and I met in New York recently. She'd been teaching here this autumn. And I said, it's pretty depressing to read about this widening inequality among women and to think you're part of it.
1: It it is pretty depressing. I don't think it's something that that women should be themselves up about I think it's something that professional people need to be aware of because of course in the past uh, there were there were servants I mean you look at sort of anything I mean you look at the history the the life of Virginia Woolf for example you know renowned um, feminist writer she always had servants she just took it for granted that there were servants because houses couldn't be run without servants what was also the case of course is that women as a class were in the house acting as organizers of servants and actually for the most part doing a lot of domestic work themselves so you know we have this upstairs downstairs image but the number of women who did nothing around the house was minute so the typical middle class upper middle class pattern was that you had what was known as a maid of all work which pretty much summarized it and Yeah, you probably gave her the worst jobs, like cleaning out the fireplaces. But the reality was it was a lot of work to have a household. Alison's
0: grandmother was a cook. She always told Alison she didn't know why domestic service got such a bad rap. It really wasn't that awful. And if you look at the data in Alison's book, it's really interesting because it's not just class-bound Britain where so many houses had staff. In America in 1870, almost half of employed females were domestic servants. And just before the First World War, that number was still quite high. A third of working women in the U.S. were servants. It was just a given in a labour-intensive age that anyone who could afford it had help in the home. But all that changed fast after World War II. Household help all but disappeared as the labour market opened up to women. And thus was born the suburban housewife whose entire job was to care for the home and her children. That started to go away a couple of decades later as educated women began working en masse.
1: But the fact remains that just as men in the past needed people to look after the house, uh, professional women need somebody to look after the house, and that hasn't gone away. So, But it is something which I think makes many people very uncomfortable. They don't like to think about it. I think women find it more uncomfortable to think about than men because so many of these people are women.
0: About 90% in the US alone. And the fact that people can increasingly tap this kind of help, it's all related to a big increase in migration
1: that began in the 90s. You've got people recruiting in Indonesia to send nannies to Hong Kong and you've got people in the Philippines who are who are traveling to be housekeepers in Los Angeles. And you can see this happening whenever there is an economic downturn. What happens in countries that are suddenly hit hard is that the women migrate. So you can see this really clearly in some of the countries of the old Soviet Union, where the economies have collapsed. There are no jobs at home for anybody. There is nothing for the men. The women leave to work as care assistants and nannies and cleaners and housekeepers in Western Europe. And you can see it so clearly. And you can also, of course, see it in this country because you, 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 instead of the world of the 1960s and 70s suburbs where nobody had live-in housekeepers, now so many people have a full-time housekeeper who is almost always... A different colour, and almost all, and well, not almost always, and very often from a different country, and this what, what somebody has called this global care chain is is new, and you could say, if you look at it as an economist, that it's great. Everybody's benefiting. The people who come get good wages, and they send them home. And there are a lot of countries in the world where the money that people send home is a hugely important part of national income. On the other hand, I think it makes a lot of us uneasy. this, This feeling of being sort of behaving a little bit like a master race with people from other countries coming and ministering to our needs. I
0: think that's what makes me feel squeamish about all this here in America. Many people working for the gainfully employed are immigrants. And in the UK, they may be Eastern European. In the US, they're usually a different race from the people they're working for. One thing that I notice, particularly about America, or New York, I should say, because this is the only place Mm. I've lived, is how many white babies are being pushed around by women of color. And um, it is a little odd. And I think the going rate from what I can work out for a nanny in New York is about $15 an hour. And of course, in America, you don't have health insurance. You have to buy that yourself. And I think it's a very rare employer who is purchasing health insurance for their nanny. So that isn't much, you
1: know, 15 bucks an hour. Um, It isn't. And, of course, one of the problems is that if you're going to have this sort of society, you cannot pay everybody the amount of money that the people who are employing caregivers and nannies and housekeepers are being paid. I mean, you know, and this comes back to the inequality thing. I mean, you, you, you mentioned health insurance. If you are an American middle class or upper middle class or the, the person, and after only a tiny percent by definition are in the 0.01%, you've got a pretty decent job and an income, but it's not stratospheric. So you've got your own You've got your own health insurance, you've got your taxes, you've got your mainstream expenses, and you've got college fees on the horizon, you're starting to think about them now and you're facing health. So by the time you've taken all that out, there isn't actually that much left.
0: She says if caregivers or cleaners or restaurant workers earned even half the hourly rate many middle-class workers command, the arithmetic would fall apart. And she says this situation of these big disparities in wages is here to stay. Because educated women aren't going to abandon the workforce in huge numbers. But she says most countries could do more to protect lower paid workers from exploitation and offer more in the way of a safety net. (laughs) Some domestic workers in the US are organizing to gain more protections under the law and they say their profession deserves more dignity than it gets. Jennifer Bernard was born and raised in Trinidad. She was working as an accountant for the government there until the late
2: 1980s. With all the all what's happening economically I just was one of those that was laid off and decided okay everybody's going to the US maybe I should do that.
0: By that point, she was the single mother of an 11-year-old boy, and she needed a job. So she left her son with her sister, and she made her first trip to the US. She eventually outstayed her visa and became one of many undocumented immigrants. She couldn't land an accountant's job even if she'd met the US requirements, which she didn't. She needed money now. She liked children. She knew how to look after them. So she thought, why not try nannying? No one was fussy about her legal status in this profession. But
2: it didn't meet my expectations at all.
0: She landed a job as a live-in nanny for a couple in New Jersey. They had two girls, and Jennifer ended up doing a
2: lot more than caring for them. You were the housekeeper, the nanny, the cleaner, the psychologist. You you were like an octopus. You had many different hands that you just really had to take care of everything. And If the family knew that you were undocumented, and they obviously knew that, because they would always go for a domestic worker that was undocumented. If they knew you were
0: undocumented, she says, it put you in a vulnerable position. An employer could always threaten to out her to the authorities. She had to toe the line. She says the man in this couple in New Jersey was fine, but she says his wife made it clear she saw Jennifer as a lesser being. She always looked forward to Friday nights when she'd leave their
2: house and head to Brooklyn for the weekend. And one Friday when I was all ready to go into Brooklyn, I was always excited about getting out of there at the end of a week because it's almost like I'm imprisoned. And on the Friday, the woman, the mother of the kids, came to me and said, you cannot go home today, I need you tomorrow. And I said, I have to go home to my family. And she said, well, if you leave this house, you're not getting paid. And you just won't come back. And I said, "Okay, I would leave without the money. And I didn't have money on me enough to take me from where I was in New Jersey. I had to have a cab take me to the train station. I didn't know how I was going to get there. And it really didn't matter. I put my backpack on my back and I took off. She set off on foot for the station. And I was walking and walking for like 40 minutes. And all of a sudden I heard, a brakes of a car. Somebody step on their brakes really hard. It was the husband of the, the father of the, the children. And he said to me, what are you doing out here? And I said, well, um, your wife told me I can't go home today and I need to go home to my family. And she did not pay me and I don't have any money. And, and he said, get in the car. And he was furious. But he was such a kind-hearted person that I knew he would take care of me then. So I got in the back of the car, and he drove to the house, took me right back there, and he told me not to come out of the car. And I can stay from in the car, in the garage, and I can hear his screams where he was telling her that I'm a human being and she can't treat me like that. And he came out to the car with my wages and an envelope. That time I was making $240 a week, which was not enough for living in for a five-day work week but it was enough for me to save and get my son here eventually. So I, he gave me my wages, he drove me to the train station, and he said to me, um, he hoped that my weekend would be OK and I could come back on Monday, and I never went back.
0: Now, that was the worst job she ever had. Since then, she's had lots of positive experiences. She worked for a lawyer, then a neighbour of his, then an actress. Nearly all this time she spent in the Brooklyn neighbourhood of Park
2: Slope. Those kids are still in my life. I meet them for dinner every now and then and we meet in Park Slope and um, they're on the street corner waiting for me with their arms open wide. They just make me feel so good about the work I do.
0: Were you living in with all those families or a n- mixture the of... The only you were...
2: one I lived in with was that very first one and I knew I made a pledge never to live in anybody's house after that. She says working in someone else's home is already
0: tricky. Living there makes it even more so. She says she could never fight her former employer on her own turf because it was her house. She held the power. Jennifer says too many
2: of her colleagues still feel like they can't push back. I still talk to many domestic workers who tell you that I feel like if I'm a slave... You know, I just have to do this. I have to feed my kids. I have to eat every day. My child is, I want to give my child a college education that I never had. And I hear it all the time from people, and I do understand it. And I appreciate the organization that I'm a part of because they have given so much light to speaking out, looking for the respect that is due to you, and even to accept this as real work. This is real work. Domestic workers make every work possible. If we don't go to work, employers can't go to their jobs. So we make every work possible. Don't we deserve respect? Don't we deserve to not feel like slaves?
0: That organisation she mentioned, that's the National Domestic Workers' Alliance. It's worked hard to improve life for workers like Jennifer. If you work as a home health aide, housekeeper or a nanny in America, you have few protections under federal law. This group helped get new laws passed in several states, including New York, laws that mandate things like overtime pay and a minimum of one day off a week. Jennifer's an organiser for the Alliance. And since the Domestic Workers' Bill of Rights became law
2: here a few years ago... I have really been so confident since then that I really ask for what I want. I say what I want. I prepare a questionnaire when I go for interviews, and I encourage domestic workers to do the same. This is an irregular situation that you're in. It's somebody's home become your workplace. It's not the same like walking into an office. So how do I adjust You know, I had a situation like that today where I was asked, you know, to go into my employer's room for some reason. I said, I don't, I've never been in there. I'm not going in there. She says keeping out of her boss's most private space, it's
0: her way of maintaining boundaries in what is her office. Another thing Jennifer does now she feels more empowered, she negotiates above the average
2: New York nanny's wage when she goes for a new job. I ask for what I want now i don't work for sixteen dollars an hour. I make more money than sixteen dollars an hour.
0: Can you give us a set like between twenty and twenty five
2: well, well, I work for about twenty between twenty and plus dollars an hour and my taxes are paid, which i'm very happy about. Um, I get a monthly metro card every month, and this is not it did not come easy. It comes because I now have a voice that I didn't have before. She's a legal resident these days, and next year she'll
0: become a US citizen. She's happy with her current employer, a journalist as it happens. I wanted to double check how many children her boss had, and that question led to some unexpected places. Are you looking after just the
2: one little boy at the moment? Just the one baby. Yeah, I I had a family before him, Um, I I have to say this, that when I listened to the voices of my sisters out there, the domestic workers who were nannying, I used to hear them say, oh, I would never work for people my kind, and this is quote-unquote black employers. And I I said, oh, I've got to try this out myself. And I'm just that kind of person. I'm going to find a black employer and work for them and see what it's like. Um, Experience is the best teacher. If I don't experience it, I don't know what they're talking about. And I went and worked for a black family. It was challenging, but it had a good ending. And it had a good ending because I really stood up, I stood my ground in what I believed in, how I should be treated, and what my expectations were. And I must say today, even though I'm not employed by that family anymore, we have a wonderful relationship. Now, why was it challenging? Well, it was challenging because... um, I I really try to understand when black people become professionals, some of them are on a pedestal where they look down on their own kind. And it's sad to say, but it does happen. And it does happen in every race, but I'm telling you, as a black person experiencing it, it's, it's not always what you expect at all. You expect them... And maybe you shouldn't, but you expect everybody to respect each other. But for some reason, the one-on-one, it's like, you know, I expect you to understand my plight more. I expect you to understand me as the same as you are, That I'm, my, my, what my struggles are. And it isn't always like that because I am the professional and you're not. You're the domestic worker. And you still get the feeling of what people's concepts are. For a domestic worker, they still don't think that you should be respected. And a lot, of, a lot of times we see that. I see it a lot of times. I have been fortunate to really demand the respect and get it because I'm giving it. And if I'm giving it, I would expect it back. So for me, it has been good. It has been good. The challenges are what I grew on, and it's okay because I don't expect life to be all without hurdles.
0: It hasn't been. But she did get her son over here to live with her by the time he was 13. He's now married, he works in tech in North Carolina, and he's given her a grandson. And she's proud of her last three decades as a caregiver to other people's children. Given that you had this career as an accountant before you left, do you view this as
2: your career or as a job or a vocation? Well, I do consider it my career now, because if I spent 28, almost 28 years of my life as a nanny... This is, the, this is my passion. This is something that the plan that was laid out by God all the time that I didn't recognize. We all have something that we, we're good at. And sometimes we don't recognize it. We go into all the different avenues still searching for where the place we should be at. And, and this is the place I should be. A lot of us envy that certainty. I am a professional nanny. I am a domestic worker. And I'm a hardworking domestic worker who love my kids with all my heart. And that ability to love someone else's kid and give of yourself is the greatest gift in the world. Jennifer works in downtown Brooklyn these days.
0: She's planning a big party next year for her sixtieth and to celebrate becoming an American citizen. That's the Broad Experience for this time. You can post a comment on this show, and I hope you will, either at the Broadexperience dot com or on the Facebook page. If you're on Facebook Feel free to give it a like. I'm on Twitter at Ashley Milne Tite, and you can sign up for our newsletter at thebroadexperience.com as well. Also, if you weren't listening to The Broad Experience a couple of years ago, check out the first podcast I did with Alison Wolfe. That's episode 27. Among other things, she talked about how the Scandinavian countries aren't quite as equal as many of us assume. Thanks again to all those of you who support the show with donations. If you'd like to join the throng, just go to the support tab at thebroadexperience.com. I'm Ashley milne See you next time.